West Virginia University is a renowned Research One institution with over 200 graduate and professional programs to choose from. Find more information about how you can explore your passion at graduateadmissions.wvu.edu. Welcome to Grad Life 601, Research and Beyond, a podcast supported by West Virginia University's Provost's Office of Graduate Education and Life. I'm your host, Dr. Nancy Caronia, a teaching associate professor with the Department of English at WVU. Today, I'll be speaking with Dr. Nanette Raska, who recently earned her PhD in biology here at WVU. Nanette received a STEM completion grant for her research on soils and climate change across global ecosystems. I'm excited to be speaking with her before she leaves for Singapore on a postdoc. Welcome, Dr. Raska. Thank you, Dr. Kearney. I'm happy to be here. And I'm happy to be speaking with you today. Would you start us off by talking about your research on climate change in global ecosystems? I know it's an important topic. Yes, thank you. I would love to talk about that. So the overall background of my work focuses on forests and their below ground nutrient acquisition strategies. And this is important because uh, as we all know, forests provide critical ecosystem services. And one of which is absorbing one third of the world's fossil fuel emissions every year. However, what is uncertain is the rate at which they continue to take in this carbon with environmental stress from global change. And so my work focuses on understanding how they may respond below ground to environmental stress with global change, since trees are known to have different strategies below ground to acquire nutrients and water. And this can differ between forest types, but even between species in the same forest. So for example, my main project during my PhD was actually right outside of Morgantown. And it focused on two common temperate forest trees, maple and oak trees. And these are known to have different above ground strategies to handle water stress, but the below ground strategies they use is unknown. And so that's what my focus was on during my PhD. And so I did this to understand how they may respond below ground, but also how the microbes in the soil may respond to water stress. And that is the bacteria and the fungi in the soil that decompose organic matter, but also help cycle nutrients and carbon in the soil. So I actually built these huge frames in a forest called Elizabeth Woods, 20 minutes outside of Morgantown. And I covered these frames in plastic every summer for three years, of course, with the help of undergraduates from West Virginia University, but also lab mates of mine. And so this plastic would actually divert the rainfall that would fall within these plots away from the tree roots and the soil and bring the rainfall outside of the plot. And so in this way, I induce drought stress. And you would think here in West Virginia, we get a lot of precipitation and it is expected to continue in the future. However, the duration and the timing may change. So we may have more extreme rainfall events once in a summer and then the rest of the summer can be very dry. And so I wanted to understand how these trees would respond. And what I found was after three years of this water stress that maples and oaks do respond differently below ground where maples may actually grow more roots to gain water while oak trees maintain their root biomass and they continue taking in carbon above ground 
during water stress. However, there was more nutrient cycling and decomposition occurring in these plots, which may actually lose some carbon from the soil, but it also cycles nutrients a little bit better so that the trees, the oak trees can continue growing with water stress. So I have a I have a question as someone who is not a science person. When you say that there's a whole language, I'm I'm an English person, so I'm going to ask it this way. There's a whole language underneath the ground. Are you also suggesting that the trees, the different species and the fungi are all talking to each other and saying this is what I'm doing. What are you doing? <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and we have the technical term we have is called a rhizosphere in which trees around their roots actually interact with this bacteria and the fungi in the soil to help them. They actually can send carbon in their way of like talking to the microbes below ground. They send labile carbon. So easy to use carbon below ground so that these bacteria and fungi can use it and build enzymes to break down soil organic matter and in return, give nutrients to them. And so actually, trees often associate with a type of fungi called mycorrhizal fungi. And this is a symbiont that is associated with the tree roots. And they send carbon directly to this fungi, and the fungi can then either scavenge for nutrients or decompose soil organic matter to bring nutrients directly back to the tree. Oh, wow. So there's a whole ecosystem that's happening above ground, but also below ground. And then it's all interacting with, they're all a big family. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. It's a whole world down there below our feet. And yes, they are all interacting and, you know, understanding these processes is like a whole new world. It's endless what you can uh, find out about these interesting interactions. Thank you. Thank you for that, Dr. Ruska. Could you talk a little bit about your postdoc in Singapore? How did you apply for it? And why Singapore? Okay, so I I applied for it. Actually, I found the job ad on Twitter. A lot of scientists use Twitter uh, to socialize, but also to post job ads, for, whereas otherwise it would be a little harder to find these job ads if you don't know what you're looking for. And so I found this ad ad from Dr. Kelly Anderson's lab at Nanyang Technological University in Singapore. And specifically, it was looking at the plant nutrient acquisition strategies of tropical peat forests in Brunei. So the university is located in Singapore, but the work will be located in Brunei, which is a small nation on the island of Borneo. So it's a small island to the east of Singapore. So I found this on Twitter and applied and interviewed and and got the job. And why Singapore? I'm very passionate about enhancing my toolkit to include tropical forest ecology. So this is fascinating to me that you actually found this postdoc on Twitter. Like, (laughs) Not many people think about these kinds of channels even today, especially graduate students, don't necessarily think about the channel on social media as a networking strategy and looking for work or postdocs. Absolutely. And I don't use it socially. I use it professionally in that matter. So it's actually a huge tool to use when looking for a job or interacting or collaborating with other scientists. Thanks for that important tip, Nanette. That's that's great. What are you most looking forward to while you're in Singapore and then Borneo? Well, Nancy, I'm looking forward to, like I said before, enhancing my toolkit to include tropical forests. I think it's just very exciting work. This forest is one of the last pristine tropical peat forests in Southeast Asia. And so we're looking at how this pristine forest, um, the trees here may respond below ground 
to degradation because with degradation comes less carbon stored in the peat soils, but also more fires happening in this area that burn the peat and produce smog across Thailand, Singapore, Malaysia, and that whole Southeast Asia region. So it's actually a very important topic to research and to understand. I'm looking forward to the culture experience in Singapore and the food. Um, and it's unlike anything I think I've ever experienced before. And I'm, I'm looking, I just keep looking at the different food that is found in Singapore, and I'm very excited to try it. <laughs> how, how big is your team, Minette? Do you know how many people you'll be working with while you're there? Approximately, I would say about 20 people or so. And we're collaborating with other professors at NTU. And we're also collaborating with uh, the University of Brunei and the researchers there. So we're working with local scientists who will help us in the field and we will all collaborate. So it's actually a pretty big project that some people are focusing on the above ground parts of the trees in this area while my main focus is on the below-ground nutrient acquisition strategies of these trees. Wow, so you're taking the work that you did here at West Virginia University, and you're bringing it to a global team that's looking at a very specific area, and, and you're getting new acquisitions in your own knowledge base at the same time. Is that right, Annette? Exactly, Nancy. That's exactly right. Great. So let's take a break for a moment to hear from WVU's Provost's Office of Graduate Education and Life. The Office of Graduate Education and Life is calling all doctoral students who would like to challenge themselves in competing in the 2022 three-minute thesis competition to submit their videos by February 18th. Cash prizes are awaiting. Okay, welcome back, GradLife 601 podcast audience. We're here talking with Dr. Nanette Raska, and what I'd like to ask you now, Nanette, is what are your career goals now that you've finished your PhD? Where do you see yourself five years from now? Well, now, since I've finished my PhD, I feel like an independent scientist that is ready to take on anything. And my career goal is to become a leading tropical ecologist in the field. And five years from now, I hope to be in a research lab at either a university or a research institution, something like the Smithsonian, where I will be mentoring undergraduate students or graduate students. That's a big part of my passion is mentoring um, undergraduate graduate students in the field and also doing research in tropical forest ecology and understanding the below ground nutrient acquisition strategies of different trees and different ecosystems. That's great, Annette. So so I'm guessing that your, the mentorship you received here at WVU is part of what's inspired you to be a mentor. So can you just tell us a little bit about what was the best part of graduate school for you? Wow, I would say two major things. The first is absolutely the mentorship I received within the biology department. Now, my advisor, Dr. Edward Brostack, was huge in that, but also the entire was different from other departments that I've heard of from other graduate students, where it was never competitive and professors and grad students alike, no matter how different we were or doing different research, their door was open to discuss ideas, to get advice, help on uh, a machine, anything that you needed. And I felt that I was very much supported by the department through the different grants and contests to advance ourselves with, to just interacting with the professors and graduate students 
And I found that I'm taking away many colleagues and collaborators, but also some really great friends from this experience. The second thing about um, the best part of graduate school was the fact that I could do field work for my job and go out and hike at Elizabeth Wood and take measurements for three years, year round. And some days I would just stop and, and be amazed that this was my job to hike during the day and take some measurements. And I also was able to travel with our lab to Maine and to Harvard Forest, all to do lab work and, and to be able to be out in the, the forest on a day where, you know, I didn't have to be in the office. So it was really nice. <laughs> Thanks, Nanette. So I'm yeah. guessing that one of the things you like to do for fun is to hike and that you sort of married the two things. Absolutely, Nancy. I have two dogs, so I go hiking and walking a lot. And I, I did, in fact, take them sometimes to take measurements with me. But yes, so I'm a big outdoors person, but I also do love reading and um, watching Formula One racing and anything like that. So, <laughs> what's what's the, what's your last favorite book that you read? I'm curious. Right now, I'm reading, and I really love it. It's a Jason Matthews novel. It's the Red Sparrow trilogy, and it's a spy novel. And he was an ex-CIA operative, and so he has all these details in it that are great. But also at the end of each chapter, he gives a recipe of a food or a dish that was mentioned within the chapter. So it's really unique, and it's very well written and a really exciting read. Well, thanks for the tip. I appreciate that. <laughs> so, so let me ask you one more question. Can you talk beyond what you just did about the best part of graduate school? And can you give some tips? Like you've already given us a tip about Twitter, using it as a professional um, social media outlet. But can you give us some things that you wish you had known at the beginning of your graduate career that you had to learn through trial and error? I know. I Absolutely. know. Absolutely. About that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I ha would have two major things that I would give to anyone, advice to anyone going into graduate school and going into a PhD program. First, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. It took me five and a half years to complete my PhD. And believe me, there's always work to be done, but you have to take time for yourself and you have to take time for your hobbies and your other interests because that also builds you as a person and past just your career. And so I felt that often when it would be a little overwhelming in my PhD with something coming up, you know, it was helpful to take a step back and go for a hike or read a novel that had nothing to do with science or take a vacation. So I urge anyone who's going to graduate school to make sure to take time for themselves. My second tip is that you want to keep a vision of why you're in graduate school. And that's really also what carried me through when um, it would get hard or challenging was that I had a vision of always doing tropical forest ecology and learning as much as I could about ecology and enhancing my toolkit. And I found that direction really led me to apply for external grants or collaborate with people or really build my CV by the end of my stay at WVU. So I think keeping a vision of why you're there and your dreams for the future really pull you through. Thank you, Nanette. I think the dream part is really important that sometimes grad, graduate students especially get bogged down and they forget why they sh showed up in a graduate program in the first place. So your words are very inspiring. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Now, will your dogs be able to go with you when you go to Singapore or are they staying stateside? No, I'm taking them with me. So uh, yes, they will be traveling with us and uh, experiencing Singapore with us as well. <laughs> 
That's fabulous. Well, have a great trip. <laughs> how, long will you, how long will you be gone for? My appointment is for two years. So yes, we'll see if I can find a job and I love it there. Maybe I'll stay longer. <laughs> well, good luck. We've been so thrilled to have you here at West Virginia University. And we know that you'll take that mountaineer spirit with you wherever you wind up. So thank you, Nancy. Thank you so much. And you're right. Let's go ears. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for a great conversation, Dr. Raska. I appreciate you taking time from your busy schedule and time out from packing to chat with me today about all the good work you are doing and will be doing in the future. And thank you to GradLife 601's podcast audience. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Join in next time to GradLife 601 Research and Beyond when I'll be speaking with Dr. Corinna Lely Menking Hogat, a postdoc here at WVU with the Department of Forensic and Investigative Science. I'm looking forward to hearing about the CSI effect. I hope you are too. The Hazel Ruby McQuain Graduate Scholarship provides recipients with financial support for graduate study. More information about eligibility, benefits, and the application process can be found at graduateeducation.wvu.edu. Applications are due March 28th.